This morning we turn to the book of James. It's toward the back of your Bibles. We look at James chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. It tells us, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes of the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let your steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and as we study that in just a few moments. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 this morning. We begin a brand new series of messages. Uh, we're going to unpack that and get to it as we go by. Uh, but we're going to talk about making our faith more than words. But I'm excited uh, about this series of messages. Uh, to some degree, uh, I'm excited about this series of messages because we've just completed our study of the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, there was one theme. I hope you know this. I hope you remember this. That Gospel theme uh, to, to John was the word believe. I know you were going to tell me that, but believe. That, that, that was the word. He said, I write these things so that you may believe. And we talked about how almost every page of the Gospel of John was a picture of someone coming to belief in Jesus. And so we talked about how important it is to believe. And, and you really got to believe. And the key to your spiritual life is that you believe. And so I hope that you've heard that and we've, we've really given emphasis to that. But it still leaves us with a question of, okay, but what does it mean to believe? What does it look like to believe? What does belief look like in my life? How can I tell if I believe? How can I tell if someone else is really believing? How can I tell the difference between just talking about faith and living faith? And this book of James zeroes in on that very question. In fact, as we take a look at this passage, these passages of Scripture over the next couple of months, what we're going to see is that there is, at the heart of it, there is this question, is there a difference between talking about believing and really believing? What does it look like in a real person's life that it says that they believe? And so I look forward to completing what we talked about in John, believe. But now in James, we're going to get the definition and the explanation of what belief is looks like. But there's also another reason why I'm excited about these series of messages, and it's a little bit more personal. And what I mean by that is that James has meant a great deal in my life 
personally. Some of you remember my story. Uh, I grew up in a house that was very much centered uh, on Jesus. And we talked about the things of God a great deal in the house that I grew up in. And in fact, uh, I went to church more, I think, as a kid than I do as a pastor. Uh, we were in church all of the time. That, that was the saturation of my life. And, and, and that resulted in the fact that as a very young child, someplace around four or five years old, I came to understand that, that my life needed Jesus in it. And I understood that, 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 that I had sinned and that Jesus loved me and forgave me of all of those sins. And so as a very young child, as a, as a little kid, I gave my heart to Jesus and he came to live inside of me. And I know that and I know that and I know that. But over the passage of time, my life looked pretty normal. My life looked pretty ordinary. In fact, I would continue to do the routines. And in terms of my life, I was a good kid. I was involved in church. I didn't get myself in a whole lot of trouble. Now, there's a couple of teachers that I still need to apologize to because uh, I wasn't always the best student in class and in several different uh, ways. Uh, but for the most part, if you looked from the outside in, I was a good kid. But the truth of the matter is that there was an awful lot of my life that I was just coasting spiritually. All the way through high school, nothing wrong, but just my faith was just kind of there. It was around. I don't even fully remember what it was that triggered it, but some point, the midway point of my senior year of high school, there was a challenge on my heart and on my life that says, listen, if you're going to go around claiming to be a follower of Jesus, you need to determine if that's really going to be a big deal in your life or not. You're coming up to some seasons of life where you're going to be making lots of different decisions. You're already in a place where you make decisions all the time. Is Jesus going to be the center of those decisions? Is Jesus going to be the thing that my life is built upon. And, and as that challenge came to me, one of the things that, that shifted in my life is that I needed to spend time in the Word of God myself. And one of the first places that I began to read was the book of James. And I remember that senior year reading the book of James. Sometimes in the middle of class, again, I wasn't always the best student. But God used this book in the moments in that season of my life while I was asking the question, am I going to take my faith life seriously? This is the place that God brought me to. And so this has been an important book in my life ever since then. In fact, when I became a pastor for the very first time and I was called to stand in front of a church and to preach sermons to a church, I have no idea what I'm doing. It's possible that I haven't learned a lot since then either, but I'm like, where, where do I begin? And so the first set of sermons that I ever preached in my life was from the book of James. And I'm pretty sure that, that was, I did that because of the difference that it had made in my life. And so as we come to this, I, I want you to know that this has been an important book of God's Word in my life, uh, but also, maybe even more importantly, it is my prayer that it becomes an incredibly important book in your life spiritually, and that God would use it in your life.
So let's take a look at the word uh, this morning. Uh, we've already read uh, the passage of scripture and there's some starting foundational points that I want us to look at this morning as we begin to study the, the book of James. Uh, there are really some, some starting points that I, that I want us to think about. Uh, the first one is, I want you to know that when we look at this book, one of the things that we learn is that there is no one who is too far from the impact of the gospel. There is no one who is too far from the impact of the gospel. When we say gospel, we mean the good news. And when we mean the good news, we mean that Jesus loves you and gave his life for you and desires to give you the richness of a spiritual life. But there is no one who is too far from the impact of the gospel. When we read the book, one of the first things that we see is that this is a book that is written by a guy named James. Now, a lot of times when we see that, we say, okay, now who is James? Where do I know James? Have I ever met James before? Where does James come from? And we kind of have to back up a little bit because we have several people in the New Testament that are named James. In fact, Jesus had two different disciples named James. He only had 12 disciples, and two of them had the same name. One is James, the, Al the son of Alphaeus. We don't know a whole lot uh, about James, the son of Alphaeus, but there's a second one that is James who was the brother of John, James and John, the sons of thunder, John who wrote the Gospel of John that we just finished studying. Uh, that's, the James, that's another James that we, that we find. But this is a third James in the New Testament. And this James is of interest to us because this James is the brother of Jesus. He is the younger brother of Jesus. When Mary and Joseph later had more children after uh, Jesus, James is one of those brothers. Now think about that. What would it be like to share a bunk bed with Jesus? What would it be like to sit across the table from Jesus all the time? What would it be like to do chores with Jesus? What would it be like to stay up at night and talk about games and, and people and all kinds of things with Jesus? You would have to think that there are few people who have ever walked the surface of this earth that knew more about Jesus than his brothers. These are the people that literally knew Jesus their entire lives. They had seen Jesus in the daytime. They had seen Jesus at nighttime. They knew Jesus as a kid. They knew Jesus as an adult. They had seen Jesus working. They had seen Jesus playing. They had listened to Jesus talk about all kinds of things. There are very few people that have ever walked the surface of the earth that knew more about Jesus than his brothers, such as James. But I think is important to know is that James's journey to belief was actually a long and winding road. Because what we find is that James shows up as he is listed among the brothers of Jesus. We find in the Gospels that his brothers show up several different times in the Gospels, and none of it is a very flattering encounter. In fact, one of the first times we see him, Jesus is teaching, and, and there are, there's the messenger that comes to Jesus, and he says, your, your, your family is outside. Your brothers, your sister, your, your mother is, is outside, and they want to come and talk to you. And the impression that we get in that place is that Jesus' family had begun to find Jesus a little bit of an embarrassment. 
Jesus with his teaching and, and the attention that he was drawing, the controversy that was surrounding him and, and how he was separating himself from everybody else was really just, it was a little bit too much pressure on the family. And so the family was really coming to him and say, Jesus, could you, um, could you just turn it down? I think that the Hebrew word is a skosh. Could you just turn it down just a little bit? Could you, could you bring it down just a, a little bit less Jesus, if, if, if you would, is what they told Jesus. At that point in time, Jesus didn't really put up with that. There's another time in which John chapter 7, and we mentioned this several months ago, in John chapter 7, the statement of the beginning of the passage says that the situation had become so dangerous and there were so many people who were opposed to Jesus that it was unsafe for Jesus to travel to Jerusalem for the feast. And then it tells us that his brothers came to Jesus and said, aren't you going to the feast in Jerusalem? You really ought to go to the feast in Jerusalem. I mean, if you're really that big a deal, you should be going to Jerusalem. There is a, there is a mocking in that statement. There, 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 is a, there is a real opposition in that statement. There's almost a, an element in which they're, they're trying to push Jesus into traffic and into a dangerous situation because of their disbelief. There's one more place where we see James, and really it's not that we see James by his presence, but we see James by his absence. And that is at the foot of the cross. As Jesus is about to breathe his last, he looks down and he sees his mother, and he sees the apostle John, and he says to John, behold, your mother, and he says to Mary, and points to John and says, behold, your son. Now, Jesus had brothers. Mary had other sons. There were other people who could have filled that role, but they weren't there. And I think it's not just that they weren't there geographically, but I think that they weren't there in terms of their belief. The very thing that would matter the most to Mary was what she believed about Jesus, and none of the other brothers, including James, believed it. And so because that was such an issue, he says, John, you're going to have to fill in the gap, and you're going to have to be a son to Mary, and Mary, this is who you lean into. Because all the way through Jesus' life and ministry, one of the people who knew him best more than anyone else did not believe. Here's the word that I want you to have this morning. I want you to know that there are some people in your life that you care a great deal about that do not believe. They currently do not believe. But I want you to take heart and I want you to be encouraged because I want you to see the story of James because the story of James is that this person who knew as much as anyone else ever knew, who was around and saw it and chose not to believe and sometimes had animosity and sometimes mocked and sometimes was even opposed to Jesus. He says, hi, I'm James and I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This person who was so far from believing became a believer. 
And in fact, not only did he become a believer, but he becomes one of the key leaders in the early church, so much so that we now have one of the letters that he wrote and said, listen, you need to listen to this guy because he is a believer that God is using and has a word for us. In fact, I love this transition that we, we have here. He says, I'm James, I'm a servant of God, and I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss out on that title. Sometimes we just kind of see the different names of Jesus. But he says, I am a servant of God, and I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He understood that Jesus and God were the same. And he says, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus. And when he says, Lord, he says, this is my master. This is the person who has authority over my life. That's not easy to say about someone that you shared a bunk bed with, is it? Have you tried saying that? Hey, I just want you to know that here on sibling day or whatever, you have complete authority over my life. Well, would you trust any of your siblings to do that? I, I, listen, I got good brothers, but I don't think so. But James comes from a place from not believing to now he says, Jesus is the Lord of my life. And he says, the Lord Jesus Christ and using the word Christ, he is talking about it and says this is the same word as Messiah. And he says everything that we've ever been looking forward to, everything that scripture has ever spoken about, that is Jesus. He moved from unbelief to belief. He says I'm a servant of Jesus who is my Lord and who is the one that all of the word and all of time points to. There are people in your life that you know, that you love, and that you care about that are some distance from God today. There are people that you know and that you love and that you care about that while they may know all the things that they need to know about Jesus, they do not yet believe. But let me encourage you and let me tell you that no one is too far from the impact of the gospel. James eventually had an encounter with the risen Jesus and he believed. And there are people who do not believe today that we're going to believe tomorrow. There are people who came into the worship services like this one today who do not believe and by the time they leave they will believe because no one is too far from the impact of the gospel. I also want you to know, and I think that this passage of Scripture teaches us, that no one is too far from the experience of the gospel. No one is too far from the experience of the gospel. I don't know about you, but do you have a, do you have a favorite television chef? I mean, there's some good ones on TV. You might like Gordon Ramsay there. Uh, you may be a more Guy Fieri uh, person. Maybe you like the Pioneer Woman. Maybe you go for the old school classic, um, The Swedish Chef. Uh, he works much better with the subtitles on. If you really want to get the recipe, you've got to put the, the subtitles on the bottom of the page there. But all of these folks, uh, they come and they, they, you turn on the TV and they prepare these incredible meals and they take these ingredients and it's just absolutely fantastic. Everything looks just, I mean, it looks so good you could eat it. I mean, it looks like you put it in a magazine. It's absolutely fantastic. But really what, what I want to see for one of these shows is I, is I want, you know, whether it's Gordon Ramsay or the Pioneer Woman or the Swedish Chef or whatever it is, I, I want them on one side of the screen and then I want a regular person on the other side of the screen. I, I want to know whether it's really possible 
to do in my life what they're doing in their life. I want to know whether it's really possible that without the production team, without the lights, without the editing, without all of the material and the budget that they have to make that meal, whether I can really make that same meal myself. I think one of the things that's really important in this passage of Scripture is it says, this is James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. You know what the dispersion is? It's not a word that we use very much. It means of the spreading out. It means of all of the people who don't live here anymore. You see, the story of Jesus began in Jerusalem. It's where the disciples were. It's where all of the activity was. It's where all of the centralized church was in that place. And now James is saying, I'm writing to the people who aren't here anymore. I'm writing to the people who are spread out and sent away from this place. I think that's really important because you and I happen to be one of the people who live in the dispersion. We don't live in Jerusalem. We don't live in 33 AD. We live some distance in time and space from this. But one of the things that James is writing, one of the things that James is telling us is, listen, you don't have to live here to experience the truth of who Jesus is. It works where you are as much as it works here. You see, you could have had the question of, well, I don't live where the temple is. I never met Jesus personally. I've never hung out with the disciples. I wasn't part of the early church. Maybe this stuff isn't for me. And James says, no, it is for everyone, even those who live in the dispersion. You and I live in the dispersion. And what I want you to know is what James writes about and what he talks about and what the Gospel of John speaks about and what every other part of Scripture speaks about. It works where you are. There are a lot of people that we know that have never been to Jerusalem. They, 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 they were separated. I want you to know that there's many people that you know that have never been to church. They've never been on their knees in prayer. They are living in a distant dispersion. But one of the things that we need to know for their lives and for our lives and for our message is that the gospel will work in their life as well as it has ever worked in anyone else's life before. The gospel is designed for the people who are the furthest away and sometimes think, this is not for me. James tells us, I'm writing to you who are spread out and who are far away. Now, there's one more part that I want us to pay attention to, and that is that no one is too far from the active work of the gospel in their lives. Now, now this is where we start to move into the heart of the gospel of James, and he really starts to get to it. One of the things that we know about the gospel, or the, the book of James, is that Man, he, he, he doesn't waste a whole lot of time, and he drives right to the point. And the first thing that he wants to tell the, the 12 tribes that are out in the dispersion, he, he says, I want you to count it all joy. All right, 
basically says count your blessings. Uh, that's an old song that we sing in church, like count your blessings. And we sit around the Thanksgiving table and we, we count our blessings. You know, I got this good thing and, and my kids are doing this and I got this promotion at work. And, and we, we begin to count all the great things in life. Uh, James says count it all joy. But he doesn't say count your blessings. He says count it all joy when you experience trials. In fact, he says, trials of various kinds. He says, you know, like trials like Baskin Robbins, trials like a box of Crayola, man. The whole set, all of them, when you've got the whole bunch, count it all joy. And then he says, he says, because the testing of your faith is a good thing. We just finished testing weeks at school. Anybody have a great time testing? Anyone say, you know what, I don't really like school, but boy, I just like to get to that testing week. I like when they put that timer on there and say, you got to fill in these bubbles by this amount of time, and your ability to promote to next grade is dependent on this. Oh, we love testing time. Nobody likes that. But James says, count it all joy when you experience all kinds of trials and the testing of your faith. He says, because the testing of your faith, it leads to steadfastness. I think a better word there is endurance, or, or as I like to call it, spiritual stubbornness. That says, this is what I believe, and you're not going to move me. I, I'm not moving from this point counted all joy when you experience trials of various kinds because the testing of your faith will lead to steadfastness, endurance, and spiritual stubbornness. And when you have let the work of spiritual stubbornness unfold in your life and do its complete work, you will be perfect and not lacking anything in your faith. Now that's easier to say than to live. The last time I preached from the book of James, boy, I preached it well. I just got particularly this sermon. I mean, I, I mean, I had one of my good days when I when I preached this sermon. I mean, I, I really laid it out there, really told people that listen, you need to count it joy. And if you've had something bad happen, you need to count it joy. And so I, I mean, I really I put it out there, you know, um, really hammered it home and got it right. And uh, then that afternoon, Susan and I had to run down to Crowley, uh, had to pick up something at, at, at Lowe's. Uh, and, and so we went in, we got it. I don't know whether we found it or not. I don't remember what we were looking for. What I do remember is that we had gotten a brand new car that week. And when we came out, somebody had decided to vigorously park their, their cart on the side of my car and left a gash in that brand new car. I sat in my car and I said, what am I going to do? My lovely wife says, you're going to count it all joy. <laughs> this happens in real life. Part of the reason why the people that James is writing this letter to are in the dispersion, why they have been spread out is because they used to live in Jerusalem but the persecution of the church had become so intense that for their protection of their lives and the lives of their family, they had to move away and move to places maybe where they'd never been before. James himself, when he had to come through and count it all joy, one of the things that he ended up having to count it as all joy is when he became a martyr 
and lost his life because of his relationship with Jesus. So I want you to know that this is not just some test tube. This is not just some, uh, some picture. This is real life. But what he says is that we count it joy, not because we're experiencing hardship, but because God is using that hardship in our lives. And here's the thing, you and I hunger for God to be at work in our lives. Say, boy, I wish I could hear from God. I wish God, I, I knew that God was at work in my life. I, I wish this and this and this and this. So God seems so far away. One of the things you need to know is that God could be as close as the difficulty that you're facing right now. And he is at work inside of your life right now. But you've got to let that hardness, you've got to stay in it. You've got to let that testing have its full work. You've got to have that spiritual stubbornness that we don't duck out when the going gets hard. And we don't find a way and say, what's the closest exit? What's the easiest way out of this? Because it may be that in that trial and that difficulty and that testing, that the very hand of God is at work on your life. He also tells us, and I'll make this really, really quick. But he also tells us if one of the things that you're lacking in life is wisdom, he says, man, he loves to give you wisdom. He says, just ask for wisdom. If you ask God for wisdom, he will never roll his eyes at you and say, I cannot believe you'd ask such a dumb question. I can't believe that you don't know that already. He says he loves to give that to you. He says the only thing is you have to ask believing and not doubting. Now, there's a lot of different ways to, to explain that, but I think one of the things is when we believe, it is that when God reveals that wisdom, we will do it. But if when God reveals the wisdom, we're like, yeah, I'm not so sure. That's doubting. When we ask God for wisdom, we have to be ready to do what it is that he gives us to do. He says if we receive it as a person who doubts, unready to do what he tells us, he says we'll be like a beach ball in a hurricane. That's not a good thing. That's incredibly unstable. Completely unrooted in life. He says, listen, I want to be at work in your life, but you've got to hang in to some of the hard things. And when you ask me for wisdom, and you ask me for direction, you have to be willing to do what it is that I say. You have to live your life yielded to him. So what does this mean for us? Well, I want to challenge you in three different ways this morning. The first thing that I want to challenge you with is I want to challenge you to move this morning from unbelief to belief. Maybe you're like James. You've been around it, and it hasn't really helped. You've been around people talking about Jesus. You, you've been around the facts. You've been around all of that stuff. And for whatever reason, there's something about it that's turned you off and you've not said yes. But maybe today you've heard from the risen, living Jesus. And it's the day that you need to move from unbelief to believe. And maybe today is the day that you're supposed to move from disconnected to connected. Maybe you've been out there in the dispersion and you need to find a church home 
that you fit in and that you belong in and this is your place. You say, this is for me. And, and maybe, maybe you need to move. Maybe you need to move to yieldedness. Maybe you've been deflecting. Maybe you've been not receiving. But God's trying to do a work in your life and you just keep putting a wall up. Maybe some of the things that he's doing, you're trying to get out of instead of letting him do the complete work. Maybe he's revealed something to you and you wish he would have told you just about anything else but what he told you. So maybe you need to go from deflecting to submitting and yielding of your life. You know what it is. Unbelief to belief, disconnected to connected, or deflecting to receiving. I don't know what it is, but as God speaks to you, I pray that you would respond. I'll be down front. I can pray with you. I can also meet you in the back in a few minutes. But whatever it is, don't miss the work of God this morning. Bye.